Our gospel lesson for this morning comes from the gospel of Luke, the third chapter, the first six verses. So listen now for the word of the Lord. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod, the ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, the ruler of the region of Icheria and Trachonitis and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You join me in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power. Come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For any of you who have been driving around town recently, it feels like there is construction everywhere. Whether you're on the highway or you're trying to get up Monroe or across North Druid Hills, you know that there are orange cones everywhere. Perhaps you, like I, have spent some quality time in recent weeks in the construction work over on Briarcliff, where they are doing the opposite of John's prophecy this morning. I'm fairly certain they are, they are making the crooked ways more crooked and the rough ways rougher. There is no salvation on Briarcliff these days. And if you're anything like me and you're often running 10 minutes late to your anticipated destination, there is just nothing more soul-crushing than coming around a curve and seeing that bright or rectangular orange sign that comes at you that says, caution, road work ahead, with a line of red taillights as far as you can see. And as your wheels come to a screeching halt, there's that universal set of emotions and actions that we go through when we hit an unexpected roadblock. First is the, the head reach around to see if you can see where the end is, as if knowing how long it lasts is somehow going to take away your miser misery. Then there's the desire just to honk out of sheer frustration. Then, when you've come to a halt, you pull out your phone, which you're not supposed to do, and refresh Google Maps to see if, in fact, there's an exit still, and you discover that, no, you have passed the last hope of returning and avoiding this delay. And then the kids in the back seat say, Mom, why aren't we going? And then you just sigh in resignation. 
Rarely do I actually think about the road work that's happening outside my car window or the workers who have been tasked with preparing the way. We are, in fact, not anxious to participate in the slowing down required in order for a new path to be paved. The truth is we'd rather continue to traverse brokenness and bump along with the evils of the world than cede our timeline and our plans in order to participate in preparing a still yet better way. And yet construction has a way of stopping us in our tracks, whether we like it or not. Once you've seen that orange sign, there is no way to ways your way out of the situation. You are just stuck. In between departure and destination, in a kind of wilderness that forces you to take stock of your surroundings. The disorientation that comes from noticing that which has been right before your very eyes all this time, but you've missed it speeding along at 45 miles an hour. And it's into that wilderness that we meet John the Baptist this morning. Unlike most of us who choose the most direct, fastest path to our destination, John the Baptist has gone into the wilderness intentionally. Like many prophets before, he knows that it, it is in the disorientation, when we have to cede control to our Creator, that we are in fact better able to hear God's voice. Black theologian Willie Jennings writes, the wilderness that John inhabits is not his undoing. It is the place that prepares him to hear the word that God will give. God's voice woven into the voice of the prophets is what love sounds like. And John announces what Israel longs for and what the world needs to see God. In these times of disorientation and wilderness, when we, it, it is these times that we learn that there is a purpose, a necessity behind the construction projects that have halted us in our tracks. John's voice speaks out of the wilderness and reminds us that the roadwork that we find ourselves whining about is not just a nuisance, but necessary. It's not the cause of an unexpected pit stop. It is, in fact, vital preparation. And the project before us is not just a quick pothole repair so that we can continue on our normal routines, leaving our systems and structures intact. This project is actually ground-leveling work, the kind that requires big diggers, as my son would say to fill the valleys and level the mountains, the kind that will reshape the whole landscape so that we can see God. John the Baptist, borrowing words from Isaiah, is quite clear that this preparation requires something from us. We do not just get to sit in our cars in traffic and wait it out. We are, in fact, invited to get out and be participants in preparing the way. To make crooked paths straight require, requires a kind of undoing before the rebuilding can take place. And for John, that's the work of repentance. To repent is to say, I'm willing to have the burdens and wounds and sins of my heart excavated so that the terrain can be cleared. 
We have to survey the landscape and acknowledge the places of pain and suffering and heartache and grief that need to be filled with comfort and consolation that our saving God offers. It equally requires us to do some demolition work, to level some mountains of power and hills of privilege that block our ability to see salvation coming toward us. This is the kind of construction project that comforts the disturbed and disturbs the comfortable. And as much as we'd rather turn our car around, once we've heard John's words, we no longer are free not to participate in the preparation. The good news is that that preparation can begin in small ways. Kate Murphy, the pastor of Grove Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, she had this goal of wanting to help others see God's salvation in a tangible way in her church building. And so with the help of the children attending the Spring Vacation Bible School, they modge-podged and collaged 24 wooden letters that would spell out the message, the world needs who you were created to be. And they had decorated them, and they affixed them to the cement block wall, and they looked so good, she was thrilled. They were colorful and special and unique, and immediately they began falling off the wall. And so each day she would walk by and pick up the letter that had fallen that day and stick it back up on the wall, and it would fall off again. As Kate tells the story, one day she was in the hall rehanging the W, and she realized that she was repairing the world, literally the W from world needed repair. She was reattaching that first letter, and she remembered from her Hebrew class in seminary the word tikkun alam, which means to repair the world. Tikkun Alam is a way that faithful people live in a broken world. We do not deny the brokenness. We do not abandon the suffering. We do not despair or declare that life is worthless and so we're just waiting on the next one. No, in an act of holy defiance, we join God in the holy and beautiful work of repair. Kate was quick to admit that this work is far greater than just hanging letters back up on the wall over and over again, but holy repair begins with repenting of anything that blocks the way of who God created you to be, like their sign said. For John the Baptist, the roadwork in our hearts is the work of repentance, all right, I admit that repentance is one of those like loaded church words, the kinds that you see as like a solo word on a billboard as you're driving through North Georgia. It's the kind of word that can make us nervous, right? But repentance isn't about feeling bad about ourselves. It isn't about wallowing in despair about the ways that we've fallen short. It isn't about judging ourselves or judging others. It isn't even simply about trying to be a better person. Repentance is about removing all the things in our sight line that block our ability to see the presence of God. And most often, that presence of God appears in the face of the other. 
Repentance requires us to set aside some fears, to make the crooked ways straight by removing barriers that keep us from each other. John the Baptist calls us to this kind of construction work. Participating in this holy repair enables us to see differently. We don't get to the manger, to seeing salvation, without stepping out of our car and participating in the holy road construction along the way. It reshapes the landscape of our hearts and the ground underneath our feet so that we can see salvation coming toward us in the face of Christ, who comes to us as the other. Dr. Ari Johnson is a physician, a practicing Jew, and the CEO of an organization named Muso. They work in Mali, and they've spent more than a decade trying to address injustices in health inequity, particularly for children. This team of Malians and Americans at Muso has taken the country from the sixth highest rate of child infant mortality and lowered those rates down to rates equivalent of that in the United States. He is invested in the work of tikkun of olam, of holy repair. But that work, even for him, began with repentance, with the willingness to remove the things that blocked his ability to see the presence of the other right before him. In an interview, Dr. Johnson was asked, so you could have just been a fancy doctor. You went to Harvard Medical School. How did you end up here? And there's this pause in the interview, and he clears his voice, and he says, it got started with one particularly important act. We decided to move in with the communities we sought to serve in the shadow of Mali's capital. And not long after they had moved in, one of their neighbors knocked on their door and said, will you come see my grandson? He was soaked in sweat from a fever and struggling to breathe, and so they rushed him to the nearest hospital, and they were too late. And the next day, Dr. Johnson and his team were sitting at this boy's funeral, reliving what it was like to watch a baby die in front of them, to watch their neighbor die before their eyes. Dr. Johnson said, that, that experience changed me. It changed the course of my life. But instead of turning around and running away, just as they were trying to absorb how and why that had happened, a very similar thing happened again and again. They were being called upon by their neighbors and they were, who were struggling, and their expectation, the expectation of their neighbors was simple. We're struggling, struggle with us. And Dr. Johnson said, and so we did. It wasn't an intellectual exercise. It wasn't a research project on some distant people on the other side of the world. Dr. Johnson dared to change the course of his life because he had opened his heart up to the kinship of God among his neighbors in Mali. 
When Dr. Johnson saw those orange cones and the roadwork sign ahead, he didn't sit idly by in his car waiting for someone else to make the path straight. He participated in the groundbreaking, system-changing, heart-excavating work of repentance that cleared the way for him to see holiness in the face of the other. You don't have to be a Dr. Johnson. Most of us won't be. You don't have to travel globally to take on mountainous problems to participate in the work of repentance, the work that John the Baptist calls us to. The roadwork is, in fact, as close as the construction on Briarcliff. Because repentance begins in our own hearts and in our own neighborhoods. It begins when we're stopped in our tracks long enough to look around, to see where broken relationships need mending, where forgiveness is needed to fill the valleys. It begins when we tear down the barriers that keep us from seeing our neighbors, from seeing one another. It begins when we understand the injustices in our world enough to deconstruct and tear down systems that inhibit other people's flourishing. John the Baptist calls us to put on our construction hat, to undertake the roadwork of repentance wherever it is that we see an orange cone. And based on the roadwork in Atlanta, there's plenty of work to do. But when the work of preparing the way is done, when the crooked paths have been made straight and the rough places made plain, Dr. Jennings said, there will be no need for an alternative route to God, no need for maps to the, to the divine, because God has come to us, clarified the way, sharpened our view. And the only question will be, do you see the God who is already on his way to you? May it be so. Amen.